Okay. Father, we do pray this morning as we get ready to study your word that you would prepare our hearts, even as worship does that, but right now to be attentive. Help us to turn our ringers off our phones. And Lord, be just ready to receive your word. I, I believe you want to touch hearts, even as you touch hearts and lives this morning in the first two services. Help us be attentive, Lord, and that we would see that our God is able. And whatever it is that we're facing, we do pray for the Pregnancy Resource Center and their ministry, that you be with Gail, and she's done such a wonderful, incredible um, job there at, for the last 20 years um, there at the Resource Center. All the, the staff, the board, uh, the, the volunteers, as they minister to abortion-minded women, we pray for our nation. And Lord, there's this, this division, there's this anger but, Lord, we know that we are to stand for the sanctity of life. And even as we are told, choose. And, and, and I set before you, the Lord says, the way of life and the way of death, that we choose life. Because you're the author of eternal life. You're the creator of life. As we get ready to tell that truth to the kids, that they're wonderfully and just fearfully made that you know them, you knew them before the world was ever formed, and that you love them, and that you desire to save them and have a wonderful plan for them. I pray this morning we would be encouraged in every way right now. Lord, I just pray that you would bless our time together and as we go through the scriptures. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 6. One thing I didn't want to forget, welcome back, Dr. Joy rough she was in ukraine so she was doing medical missions there looking forward to hearing from you we were praying for you and so she just got back last week so and they did an uh, interview on Greeley tribune so be looking for that might be in a paper today but she was in ukraine helping there and so we want to continue to pray for those in ukraine and for that whole situation and so again looking forward to talking to dr joy rough here so glad that you're with us with your church family once again Daniel chapter 6, all right? Yeah, it's wonderful. It's okay to clap in church once in a while. <laughs> all right. As we get into Daniel chapter 6, we were in this a couple weeks ago, and as it's a very familiar chapter, which gives us the account of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. And we know that Daniel, at this time of chapter 6, is an elderly man. He has seen empires come and go, from Babylon to now the world-dominating empire that we're reading about here in this chapter, the Medes and the Persians. The head of gold uh, being replaced by the chest and arms of silver, fulfilled just as Daniel had said to Nebuchadnezzar nearly 70 years before what we are about to read here in chapter 6. We're going to see that again when we move into chapter 7, the second part of Daniel, chapter 7 through 12. We're going to be looking at the prophecies of Daniel. And again, I want to remind you, don't miss that, uh, because it's very important what we're going to be reading about, where everything is headed. But the first six chapters has revealed the person of Daniel. 
And what a tremendous blessing it has been to me, and I know to many of you as well, uh, to look at Daniel's faithfulness to God, to learn from Daniel and his example that is set before us. And Daniel, as we have read, that he had that excellent spirit that is in him. Uh, We know that it's the same spirit that's in us, the Holy Spirit of God working in us and through us, just like God was working through Daniel. And in chapter 6, Darius, he's the king, set over the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel had that honored position. As Daniel distinguished himself above all the others, he's really the number two man there in the kingdom. Matter of fact, it tells us in verse 3 of the chapter that the king gave thought to setting Daniel over the whole realm. So, The king had a lot of trust in Daniel, um, looked to him. He's the right-hand man to Darius the king. And remember that Daniel, in this elevated position, also had that elevated position when he served in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. So God has blessed Daniel in that way. And here are the other two governors, the 120 satraps. The satraps were like mayors of a city or a manager over an area. And they were in place to make sure that the king wouldn't suffer any loss, to make sure that people uh, weren't um, cheating the king and giving their taxes or you know, forming some kind of conspiracy against the king. They were there to serve uh, the king. And so were the governors over the satraps. And Daniel was over all of them. And as we see here, they're coming against Daniel. They, I believe, are jealous and envious of Daniel. They're trying to find fault with Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they couldn't. They couldn't find any fault. The only way that they could find fault was concerning Daniel and his faith, concerning his faithfulness to God. In other words, they set up this trap, and they are going to frame Daniel. They come to the king. They appeal to his pride to his position. And they said, King, we think you're so great. You're so wonderful that you should make this decree, sign a statue that no one prays to any other God or any other person except for you, King, for the next 30 days. And if they do, they're to be cast into the den of lions. Now, keep in mind that this is Medes and the Persians are not set up like Babylon was. Nebuchadnezzar, had absolute rule. Whatever he said, that became law. And if he changed his mind a few minutes later, then he could do that, and that was law. Here it's a constitutional monarchy, not an absolute monarchy of the Medes and the Persians. In other words, once this was signed, which the king did, he signed it and sealed it with the signet ring, that it could not be changed. It could not be altered. We see that actually in that last historical book of Esther, the, the, the account of Esther, how uh, it was uh, then at that time that uh, Haman's conspiracy came against the Jews. He said to the king at that time that you need to sign this decree that on this day the Jews are going to be killed. And Esther, who became the queen, that it was told to her that Esther, who was Jewish, that you need to reveal yourself to the king. You need to intervene. You're here for such a time as this. And we know that as we read that. So the plot is revealed to the king. They couldn't change the decree. But as you read, Esther, as most of you know, that they would write another decree that the Jews could defend themselves. So it's a lesson for another time. So once this statue, this this was put into law, it could not be changed or altered. And we're going to see that emphasized as we continue on. So we end it with him signing the written decree. 
as they came and buttered him up, flattered him. And as we pick it up at verse 10, where we left off last time, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. And he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. And then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So first of all, it's amazing as we take note that Daniel knew that the decree had been signed. He knows that these guys are there making record of him as he prays towards Jerusalem as custom from his early days. And here he is as he's in his upper room with the window open, praying towards Jerusalem. This incredible man maintain an open window with heaven. And there's some important considerations as we read about Daniel, as we look at Daniel, as he is praying to the Lord. Notice that, number one, that Daniel had a place. Number one, that Daniel had a place. It was his upper room in his house. Now, we know that we can pray anywhere. We can pray here at church. We can pray when we're taking a walk. We can pray when we're meeting somebody somewhere. We're having uh, coffee with them or perhaps lunch with them. I've prayed with people at King Supers. Uh, we can pray in traffic. If you do pray, make sure you keep your eyes open. But you and I, that we should have a place where we regularly and consistently meet with him. And I think about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He pitched his tent near Bethel, and there he called on the name of the Lord. And as you continue reading the chapter, it tells us that he goes to Egypt, he lies to Pharaoh, he gets rebuke. In chapter 13, what does he do? He goes back to Bethel, and he calls on the name of the Lord. Listen, every single one of us should have a Bethel. A special place, your room, a place where you can get away with the Lord and call out to the Lord, where there's quiet. And Daniel, he had this place in his house, in his upper room, looking towards Jerusalem. And not only did he have a place, but second of all, take note that he had a time. He would pray three times a day. It was David that wrote before this time in Psalm 55, verse 17. And I think Daniel was familiar with that psalm. That David says, every morning, uh, noon, and night, I will cry and pray aloud to you, O Lord. And David isn't just talking about, Lord, bless my Wheaties or bless my lunch and my dinner. We should ask for blessing for food and receive it with thanksgiving. But he says, I cry to you, Lord. I pray to you calling out to the Lord three times a day. And here, Daniel, he was doing the same thing, as was custom since he was young. And as Daniel is praying, I imagine as he's praying, Lord, I need your help. I need your help and your wisdom as I serve Nebuchadnezzar for all those years, praying for Nebuchadnezzar, I believe. Lord, help me not to get chopped up into little pieces. He prayed for wisdom and for strength and for boldness, the things that we need to be praying for. So the question that is before us this morning is this. Do you have a place and do you have a time where you seek the Lord? And I want to remind us how important it is that we have devotions, that we're going to the Lord every single day and reading our Bibles and having a prayer time. And, and for everyone, your day may start, you know, later in the day because you're working nights or swing shifts. Whatever your day is like, it's important to take that time and have a place 
where you're calling out to the Lord, that you're seeking the Lord, to have that time where you're praying with your spouse and you're praying with your kids and encouraging them in, in the ways and the things of the Lord. So Daniel, he had this, this place. He had a time, but notice number three here. He had a position, a posture. He gets on his knees. I can't imagine what it must have been like to get on those knees. He's 85 to 90 years old. I mean, it hurts for me to get on my knees. And we know that we can pray sitting or walking or standing up. It really is the posture of your heart. And you can be on your knees and your heart isn't right with the Lord. You've got a hypocritical heart. Jesus would say to, you know, the Pharisees that you guys, as he's teaching on Sermon on the Mount, don't be like them. Don't be praying where they just want to be on a street corner and saying these loud prayers to be heard by others. He would also tell the Pharisee and the tax collector that came to the temple to pray. And it was the Pharisee that came in arrogance. And he, he came boasting, and I'm such a wonderful guy, and I never do anything wrong, and I'm glad that I'm not like these other guys like that tax collector. And it was the tax collector that came. And wouldn't even look up into heaven. And he looked down and smote his breast. And he said, Father, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. For I have sinned. And Jesus said, that man went away justified. Not the Pharisee. So it really is the position of your heart. But you know this to be true. That when you get on your knees or you're on your face before the Lord. That it's the reflection of your heart. To where you're really doing business with the Lord. As you're crying out to the Lord. And then fourthly, you can take note of and write it down, the attitude of the heart. This is amazing that he's given thanks. That amazes me. He didn't say, Lord, you know, I've been faithful to you and, and, and I haven't compromised and look what's happening now. And he, he's not murmuring and complaining. He prayed and he gave thanks, even though he knows that these officials are below, they're recording this, they're taking notes, and they're going to make a beeline to the king and say that he's broken the decree. He knows that he's going to be thrown into the lion's den. Paul, as I think about him and his life, he was a man of prayer. And when he was under house arrest in Rome, waiting to go on trial before Caesar Nero, he writes the prison epistles, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon. And he writes about how he prayed for them constantly and consistently. And we also know that as Paul was writing that book of Philippians, the theme of Philippians, that little epistle, is joy. And he's writing to the Christians there, and it's like he's saying, you don't need to worry about me. My chains are for the furtherance of the gospel. And it's, it's evident with the palace guard. In other words, can you imagine being chained to Paul the apostle? You think he would, was praying for you? Those guys didn't have a chance, and they're getting saved. He says it's evident. And at the end of the epistle, he says that those of Caesar's household greet you. And I imagine Paul, he's there and he's praying. He's saying, oh, this, this guard that I'm chained to, I pray he would come to know the love of Christ. You would save him. And that guard is listening to all that. He's praying for the saints. But at the end of that epistle of Philippians, at a time where he doesn't know what's going to happen to him, he doesn't know if he's going to be released or he's going to be executed. And he has reason to be anxious. He has reason to worry. He has reason to be upset. And he says to the Christians and to us that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. You know, we go to the Lord. We are to go and we give him our prayers and supplications. And maybe there's someone here at this service or you're listening that you're in a place where you're feeling anxious. You're in a situation where you feel like you're chained to this or perhaps there's closed doors or maybe you're just hurting. But as we go to the Lord, which we are invited to do in the scriptures, and I'm so thankful for that, to give our requests, our supplications to him, we do it with thanksgiving. And even in the difficulties, we can say, Lord, thank you, because I know you love me. You promise you'll never leave me or forsake me. Your promises are true for me. So I give you thanks for that. And there are situations and days and circumstances that we face that we want understanding. Lord, why am I facing this? Why did this happen? He wants to give you a peace that passes understanding. He wants to give us joy inexpressible. And I know that it's in those times when I'm confronted with the things that I don't understand, that when I go to him and I pray with thanksgiving, I say, Lord, and I call out to him, Lord, what do I do? Lord, help me in this situation. Lord, I'm hurting right now. That he desires to give me a peace that passes understanding and a joy inexpressible that only he can do in our hearts and in our lives. But we always have a reason to be thankful because we have him and he's with us and he loves us. And we can cry out, Abba, Father, because we have the spirit of adoption. So Daniel here, he has a place. Number two, a time, a posture. Number three, an attitude. And then a direction. I touched on this last time. He's praying facing Jerusalem. He wasn't praying to Jerusalem. He wasn't praying at Jerusalem, but towards Jerusalem because it was 400 years previously that Solomon, praying at the dedication of the temple, prayed, Lord, if we rebel and find ourselves out of the land, if we pray towards this place and pray unto you, that you will hear us from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring us back into the land that you gave to us. We need to pray for our nation, don't we? I don't need to tell you that. But we need to be praying more than ever. When we go into chapter 7 next week, we're going to see how the nations play a role into leading to the kingdom of God that's going to be established. Absolutely amazing. But things are changing so quickly, and we look around and we're concerned, aren't we? We see the things that are taking place, the decline morally and spiritually. And we need to be praying more than ever because the hope, listen, always remember this, that the, the hope for our nation is the spiritual awakening and people coming to the gospel and getting saved. That is the hope of this nation, of any nation, of this generation. It's the gospel message that Jesus Christ is Lord and he came and died for you because he loves you and to save you. And we have opportunity to give that message. So we learn so much from Daniel's example. So Daniel's framed, and as we read in verse 11, that these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. We continue in verse 12. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, that, that Daniel, you can hear their voice, that Daniel, that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, 
does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the conspirators come to the king and said, Daniel has violated the decree. He, he doesn't show due regard for you, king. And they're pressing the fact that Daniel is to be thrown into the lion's den. And it tells us that Darius here, he's greatly displeased. And, and in the Aramaic, it has a lot of emotion. And he's not greatly displeased with Daniel. He's greatly displeased with himself. He knows that he's been duped. He knows that he's been set up. And again, I just want to remind you, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, just be careful when somebody comes and starts flattering you. We should encourage each other. We should build each other up. We should be thankful for one another. But when they butter you up, you know how that is, and play on your pride and you know, want to lift you up, and then they come and they want you to do something. And there's a tendency that we do it because they kind of set us up in that way. Just be careful. Be wise, be discerning, go to the Lord. That keeps us from making foolish decisions or hasty decisions that will come back and cause difficulties in our lives or come back and we regret things that we said that we will do that, that we should have sought the Lord on. But these guys remind the king that you did sign this. It's been signed, a decree. There's no change in it. And the king, he's greatly displeased with himself. He's there laboring till the sun you know, goes down. I imagine he's there. He's looking through all the scrolls. He's looking through everything. He, he's got any advisors that are there trying to find a loophole, how we can get out of this situation, but there isn't any way that they can. So the king, verse 16, gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So evening comes, Daniel is thrown into the den of lions. Notice that they cast him in it. It's probably a, a pit that uh, they would cast him in somehow, um, and you could maybe look into it because uh, Darius is able to yell down into it, uh, but there's some kind of entrance that they're able to seal it. But as they cast him in, I imagine shoving him into this den, his, his body just hits the ground. And they sealed the den with a stone, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring. And it's very telling here. Your God whom you serve, he says, he will deliver you. In other words, what the king is saying to Daniel is that your God must save you because I cannot save you. I cannot save you. We know that there are situations that we can find ourselves in that it has to be God that works in that situation. It's wonderful when we have help from others and we're blessed by others, but I know that there have been times in my life where the Lord has allowed me to be my back against the Red Sea and two mountain ranges on both sides. And it feels like the chariots of the world are about ready to run me over. You know the story in the book of Exodus. And it was Moses that said, 
that lift up your eyes and see the salvation of the Lord, to look to him. And oftentimes, I get my focus on the chariots. But it's in those times that we need to lift our eyes a little higher and to know this, that as we're going to see that God is able, and we know that God is able to work in whatever situation that we find ourselves in or backed up against, to deliver us, to help us. And it helps us to keep going to him and trusting in him because he is our help. He's our protector. He's everything that we need. So your God must save you because I can't save you. But notice the God that you serve continually. Can people say that about you, about me? That there is a consistency in our walk with the Lord and our devotion to the Lord? in our witness of the Lord and in our service to the Lord. Over the years of ministry, this is 30 years that I've been in full-time ministry this year. And as I think about these 30 years, and I say this not in a haughty kind of way or judgmental or anything, I say it brokenheartedly, I say this very humbly, that I've seen so many fall away from fellowship. So many that just no longer interested in really growing in the Word of God. So many that have stopped, you know, serving the Lord in any capacity. And I just want to encourage you, please don't, don't stop. I was with some Calvary Chapel pastors on Friday at a breakfast. And one of them was saying that um, after two years of the pandemic, he has a large Calvary Chapel. He said 50%, that's five zero, of the people didn't come back. Now, they've had an influx of new people coming. But 50% in, in all of us that we've seen people in, in serving and leadership and that they've just kind of have, have, you know, stopped serving. And, and, you know, I understand that we go through different seasons and the Lord moves us on. And I know that summer's coming and we're going to be out enjoying the great outdoors. And we're going to go on vacations and we're going to see family and have family reunions. But take the Lord with you, first of all, and don't stay away. Keep growing in the Lord. Keep coming and learning. We need to do that more than ever. But the enemy, what he, his trick is, is to make you think we don't need to be in fellowship. You don't need to keep growing. You've done the church thing. And try to isolate you. Because he knows that if he can isolate you, that he has a lot better opportunity to get a foothold into your life, to discourage you, deceive you, whatever the case may be. Continue to grow in the Lord. Continue to be in fellowship. Continue to walk with him. Have that consistency. Don't stop. And in verse 18, Now the king went into his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his slap went from him. I, I like what one commentator said. He said, Daniel probably got a better night's sleep than Darius did. The king didn't sleep at all, so troubled, so upset with himself, probably never really experienced anything like this before. But we do read in verse 19, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice. Again, there's a lot of emotion that is there to Daniel. And the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you? 
from the lions. So a lot of emotion. Daniel, has your God whom you serve been able to deliver you? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. And my God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad. So here in a few seconds, in a quick moment, he goes from lamenting to exceedingly glad, just amazing. All this emotion from the king, all this playing out before us is quite remarkable. And so what happens that as we read that is he succeeding glad and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, what, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. So as we read this here, very important in verse 22 to take note that my God is what he says. Why is that important? Very important that when you're in a lion's den, that you're able to say, my God. Not your God. Not I hope there is a God. You want to be able to say, my God, when you're in the lion's den. And there's no injury found because he believed in his God. So as we've gone through this chapter, you see the favor of of Daniel with men and with the king. You see the framing of Daniel. We see the feeding of Daniel to the lions. They don't eat him. But now we see the freedom of Daniel from the lions. As we read in verse 24, And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they even came to the bottom of the den. Pretty brutal, isn't it? Hard to read this. But there's some important things here that we need to take note of. And there's a reason why it's listed here for us that we can learn. One of the lessons that we have learned from this chapter is if you go the route where I'm going to put somebody down, I'm going to come against them, I'm going to frame them, I'm going to trick them, I'm going to try to get at somebody, maybe it's because of jealousy or envy or because of anger. That's what these guys were doing. Let's frame Daniel because we don't like him. They were jealous on how he was being promoted, and so they come up with this scheme to have him be killed. And you might be thinking, well, I wouldn't have anybody killed, but you're going to assassinate their character. You're going to gossip about them. You're going to try to bring them down so you look good. And if any of us do that, maybe to the person at work or a family member or a friend or even somebody in ministry, I've seen it happen in ministry, know this, that I'm going to come against them that I'm going to set them up for failure um, so I can be promoted and blessed, that God will not bless that. He will not be a part of that. And you will end up getting bit. You're going to get chomped on. These guys get chomped on literally. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, For what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And the measure... You use it, it will be measured back to you. And so these guys, the other thing that we need to remember is, as we read and how hard it is to read, that their families, their wives, their children are thrown into the den of lions and they're ripped apart. Don't ever buy into the lie of the enemy or anybody else. 
that comes to you if you're sinning, thinking that you can hide that sin involved in carnality. That as you do that, you think, well, no one's getting hurt. Nobody needs to know about it. And if you go that route, you're going to find out that your sin will find you out. And if you're involved in sin, that you're going to hurt a whole lot of people around you. You're going to hit your spouse. You're going to hurt your family. You're going to hurt those who love you. It's so hard being little, isn't it? <laughs> We're so grateful to kids being here. But you will hurt them. So don't buy into the lie of the enemy who says, nobody knows, nobody's going to get hurt. That's deceptive. A whole lot of people do get hurt. And as we finish this morning, let's do that in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Did Darius get saved? Not sure. He recognizes that Daniel's God is the living God. He says Daniel's God is. But everyone must fear and tremble before the God of Daniel and come to the point where they say, he's my God. So we're not really sure. Did that happen with Darius? But I want to end with this and go back to verse 20, as I mentioned, because this really is the question in the middle of all this. Is your God able, is what was asked. And one of the things, the first six chapters of Daniel that we have learned is that our God is able. He is able. When we find ourselves facing the uh, temptations of Babylon, and when they come to us, and that's going to defile us, that we know that as we stand for the Lord and purpose in our hearts not to defile ourselves, that God is able to honor you in that. In chapter 2, God gave them understanding and clarity and revealing a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And in chapter 3, God was able to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the burning fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar in his anger and rage said, And who is this God that will deliver you from my hand? And they said, Our God is able. And he did. Chapter 4, God was able to humble the most powerful man on the face of the earth. For seven years to where he would come to know the true and the living God. In chapter 5, God was able to give Daniel the interpretation of the handwriting on the wall. And here in Daniel chapter 6, Darius cries down in that pit of lines, Is your God able to deliver you? We know that our God is able to bless and to give you favor as you say, I'm not going to give in to the pleasures of Babylon to the temptation of Babylon, that I'm going to purpose in my heart not to do that. And I plead with you, particularly you who are young, that you live for the Lord, but it is for all of us. Don't give in to the world's meat and wine and what Babylon has to offer and the world's pleasures. And bind into the lie that you'll miss out if you do. If you just live for the Lord, you need to live for the world and experience and all that. Don't buy into that lie. You live for the Lord and you stand for the Lord and you will see that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. 
God is able to give you clear understanding and direction to give to you when you need it. There was two blind men that came to Jesus in the house, and they said, have mercy on us, and and they want their eyes open. and, And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this very thing? And we can go to the Lord and we can say, Lord, I need to see in this situation. I don't know what to, to do, what direction to go. I can't see clearly what to do. Lord, open my eyes to see what you want me to see. Our God is able. Sometimes, and it will happen, that you may not get promoted. We read about that with Daniel being promoted, but sometimes we don't. When you stand faithfully for the Lord as you live for him, that you get persecuted. Because you don't bow to the images of the world like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3. You don't pray to another like Daniel chapter 6. And you're being obedient to the Lord. But we do know that the scripture says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. As we're living for the Lord, you and I will go through some degree of difficulty and persecution that comes against us from the world. And it might be even that we have brothers and sisters that we know that they've been put to death, martyred for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It goes on even today like so many in Hebrews chapter 11. But keep in mind this, but to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, one day we are going to stand before the Lord, even as we sang, and we will stand before him, and he will present us faultless because of the blood of Jesus Christ before him. The Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you And that's a reality. And a desire for me is I want to be able to stand. And I know I'm so thankful for forgiveness of Jesus Christ. My sins are washed away. But how I desire to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I know that he is able to keep me from stumbling, to bring me before the Lord and have that rejoicing that takes place. Look what the, the work of grace has done. Paul, at the end of his life, wrote that I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Abraham and Sarah. Sarah, 90 years old. Abraham, 100 years old. Abraham and the longing in their hearts with Sarah to have that son that was promised to them. And they waited for years. They waited for years. They waited for decades. In Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth and Zacharias had prayed for a son. And here's Zacharias in the temple. They're well advanced in years. And Gabriel appears to him and says, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for God has heard your prayers. You and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. That would be John the Baptist. And I just wonder if, if Zacharias, when he first heard that, that, he's saying, What do you mean my prayers have been heard? We haven't prayed that for years. We gave up. Your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. And there has been something on your heart for your children and in your life. You've held on to a scripture or a deep desire, or you're waiting. 
You're waiting for that one that you love and care for to come to the Lord. But it seems like they'll, they'll never come to the Lord. God is able, just as he was with Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe you're praying for somebody to come into your life or something very specific for your kids. And for you that are here, know that he is able. And what happens is we can grow weary and you think, well, I've got to cross the line. I, I, I've got to, you know, date an unbeliever. Yeah, I've got to, you know, be dishonest. Or I've got to do a work of the flesh, like Sarah told Abraham, that, hey, this isn't happening, so we need to help God out. So why don't you go into my maidservant, Hagar, and it was a work of the flesh. This morning, know this, and always remember and keep it close to your heart, that he is able and whatever it is that you're facing and how he works in your life, because he's almighty God, as you walk with him, as you know him, as you trust him, as you rest in his love, that he is able. Amen? Okay. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this. We know that you're able, whether we're praying for a prodigal to come home, Whether we're praying for a promise that, that we have had on our hearts or for you to work, Lord, you are able. Even as you told Jeremiah, is there anything too difficult for me? No, there isn't. And we can trust you. But Lord, help us to look to you, be faithful to you, to walk with you. Father, I thank you that you're able to save to the uttermost, as your word says. That Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again. And maybe you're here in this place this morning or you're watching and you've never made a commitment to Christ for salvation. Listen, he is your salvation. There is none other. And it's not a church. Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins and rose again. No other religious leader did that, made atonement for your sins. No other religious leader conquered death by rising from the grave. They're all in their graves. Jesus proved that he's the son of God because there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And he loves you, and the invitation is that you come and believe in him. Forever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life that he died for your sins, that he rose again. The Bible says you are to repent, that is, turn direction. Quit going to direction and thinking what you're thinking and how I can be saved and turn to Jesus. He is your salvation. He loves you so much. The invitation is to come. And you can call out to him right now. That Jesus, I come and I ask you, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. Forgive me. You rose again in your life. You are Lord and Savior. I want you to be my Lord and Savior, to sit upon the throne of my life and of my heart, to walk with you, to know you. I thank you for bringing me into the family of God and for this new beginning. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. And for all of us that are here, that we would know <clears throat> that we have opportunity to declare light and truth to others. I pray that there is 
a consistency that people see that we belong to you and that we love you. I know they're not going to see perfection, but something in the reality of Christ. And Lord, that we would remember that you are able. That you are able. Thank you for today. I pray you bless everyone in our week coming up. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. All of God's people said, Amen. 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 Would you please stand?